You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, opening up the Word of God tonight and seeing what the Lord has uh, to say to us tonight. And so we're going to be in the book of... First Peter, I may have said Second Peter because it's First Peter chapter two. Do you understand how I can mix that up? First Peter chapter two, and two main points. We're we're on the subject of missions for the next few weeks, and as we uh, talk about these things, I where I felt led to go was this section out of First Peter, and I think the the, the two main points that I want to emphasize again tonight. Two main points I want to make is, one is about God's relentless pursuit for souls. God's relentless pursuit for souls. God cares about souls. That's that's one thing. And we talked about that some last week as well. Uh, And then our role, just simply our role. Um, Now, let's look here in 1 Peter chapter number 2. And I want to begin reading in verse number 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye... So we see a contrast here. First of all, let's understand the players in this text. First of all, going all the way back to verse number 4, the Bible just starts coming. I pick up in verse number 4. You could back up a little bit to see. But to whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Who would that be referring to? Jesus Christ, amen. He is the rock. He is the one that was chosen by God but rejected by men. More specifically, he was rejected uh, here in verse number 7. It talks about those that were disobedient, the the, the cornerstone being a stumbling block, verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, which to them, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That now speaks of whom? The Pharisees. uh, And then then kind of on the macro, who did the the Pharisees basically were representing? The nation. And so in essence, the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. And then this is the transition again. I'm not going to break all this down as I did last week because we introduced these verses last week to to an extent. But then he says in verse 9, but ye are a chosen. So now there's a, there's a transition taking place. You find out that 1 Peter was written to the strangers scattered out throughout uh, Galatia and Pontius and uh, 
Cappadocia and so forth, Asia. They were scattered around. So these people who were scattered, these people who were Christians, but because of persecution, they were uh, all around. So he's writing this to Christians who have been persecuted, who have gone through difficult times, who are now scattered around. But he's telling these Christians, these strangers, that ye are a chosen generation. And he's not only telling them that, but that applies to us too because, folks, we, we fall in that same category as the Gentiles. Ye are a chosen generation. And not just the Gentiles, but the Jews as well, those individual Jews that turned to Christ. The nation rejected Christ. The early church was almost totally made of Jews, right? So it wasn't that the church was just a Gentile thing. It was just that it was of all nations, both Jew and Gentile. And we'll say more about that in just a moment. Um, but now he's saying, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And a royal priesthood is something that really wasn't allowed in the Old Testament. The offices of, of king and priest were separate offices. That could, you could be a priest and a prophet. You could be a king and a, and a prophet. But you could not be a priest and a king. But Jesus, the Bible says, is a king priest. And then it now it says that we are also a royal priesthood. And holy nation a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now the interesting thing that we pointed out last week about verses 9 and 10 is God originally said these words to the nation of Israel. He said, nation of Israel, this is way back, right? I mean, right when they were started as a nation. This is in the book of Numbers. It's in the book of Exodus. Hey, Israel, you're a holy generation. You're, you're a generation of priests. You're, you're, you're here to show forth the praises of God. Israel, that's what you're here for. But it's interesting, isn't it? Now this chapter is telling us that they stumbled over Jesus Christ. They disallowed and rejected Jesus Christ. Now these same words are now spoken to the church. Ye are chosen generation. So God chose a nation to be a light in this dark world. And this is important to understand when it comes to Israel. God did, did not choose Israel to the exclusion of the world. That's how some people see it. And that's how the Jews kind of saw it. Uh, but God did not choose Israel to the exclusion of the world. He chose Israel to love the world through them. If you don't believe that, I've got a few verses to share with you. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. The Bible says, But as truly as I live, this is the Lord speaking, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God's heart from the very beginning was that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 42, verse 6, the Bible says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. And again, he's talking about this nation. And will hold thine hand and will keep thee and will give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. For a light of the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, verse 6, And he said, 
It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. The nation was chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. And on a, in a greater sense, the nation was chosen to bring the light, as in the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles. But throughout all the existence of Israel, they were there for the purpose of showing the glory of God and the light of God to the nations around them. We'll, talk, we'll perhaps get to talk a little bit more about what happened to them, but... The Word came through the nation, so we got the Bible through the nation of Israel. The Savior came through the nation of Israel. Now, when you think about Israel, what was, what was Israel's main problems as a nation when you study and read the Old Testament? What, what was it that seemed to trip them up more than anything as a nation, Blake? Yeah, they would go against God again and again and again after being delivered again and again and again. So they, they fell back into the same thing. But what, what's some of the spe specific uh, things they would fall into? Idolatry. idolatry. These people couldn't help themselves. They weren't out of the wilderness no time until they're worshiping idols. They always wanted to go back and worship idols. They, they just kept going. Dude, listen, they were worshiping the idols they got to the point, God exterminated a, a very, and, and listen, the people in Canaan's land had ample opportunity to repent, but they refused to repent, and they continued to murder their children, sacrifice their children to false gods, do unspeakable things to children and women and their neighbors alike. They were just a, the worst group of people you can imagine. Uh, that, that, those people were expelled out of the land and God had to tell his people, hey, don't worship the gods that they worship. Can you imagine this? Being delivered by Almighty God, being brought through the Red Sea, and, and, and all the history, and the cloud by the day, the fire by night for 40 years, all of God's blessings and provisions, and yet these people go and worship these gods, including sacrificing their children to their gods. Isn't that awful? But God did not give up on them. God remembers His covenant. He comes. He would send judges. He would send prophets. He would call the people and praise God. And, and He'd always have a remnant, by the way. God's always kept a rem, remnant. He's always had a small group that truly would worship and follow God. But as a nation, they just turned again and again to idolatry. And I mentioned this last week. I would submit to you that by the time Jesus came, you don't see them worshiping the idols of the Gentiles anymore. But by the time Jesus came about, they were worshiping, I believe, I believe they had made their religion an idol. And because when you fight, you say, well, wasn't their religion Judaism? Wasn't their religion, yeah, Judaism? Wasn't it the, the, the Decalogue? Wasn't it the Old Testament? No. That was only a part of it. You see if this isn't a parallel, and I'm not going to go down this very long because we've spoken about it before, but in, in Isaiah 58, this started way back in Isaiah's day, that uh, there's a familiar passage to some of you to where the Bible says in Isaiah 58 verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show the house of Israel their, their sins. And I used to always hear that message about, okay, get up and uh, preach against you know, these sins of the world or whatever. 
But when you read the chapter and if you read the context, you find out that the people they were talking to were, were the, was the, uh, the forerunners of the Pharisees. So what happened? And I'll just say it here quick. They had the Decalogue. The Decalogue is, of course, the Ten Commandments. You've got the, the, the law of Moses. You've got all the, the dietary restrictions. The separation that God had for the nation of Israel that He had for them. But here's what a group of religious scholars did. And, and zealous people. I mean, they want to do right for God. So what did they do? They had what God said, and then they started writing commentaries on what God said. Until, for, and until I believe it was like 40 volumes that were written on, you know, God give, give them four volumes. They, wrote, they added 40 of commentary on, okay, well, let's break this down and talk about the, what this really means. And by the time Jesus came along, they were going by that stuff just as much as they were going by the law. That's why you see some laws that the Pharisees followed that is not in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, already by that time, they had already started passing down their, their oral law. Just things that were things that they had taught orally that you had to follow. Uh, but the point is, so now here comes the Lord Jesus Christ. They have their religion, I believe, as an idol to an extent, to where they reject the Messiah. They actually reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It's crazy. So that's what they did. They failed. And that's what, and, and then again, remember, they had another opportunity. It wasn't over. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Folks, they had another opportunity on the day of Pentecost. They could have turned as a nation then. But you know what? They still rejected the truth of, of, of the gospel. And what happened then is that the, you, you see God's attention going toward the church, his, his attention going away from the nation of Israel, the promise that they would scatter throughout all, be scattered throughout all the nations that Jeremiah promised would happen, happened. And then also what happened is also what God said would happen. I'll regather them again one day, which he did in 1948. And I will, I will begin to focus my attention back on them as the time comes for them finally, the tribulation period. I don't know what you think about the tribulation period and Armageddon and uh, what's the other word? The, the apocalypse, right? Uh, I think about it's Halloween. There's probably going to be some people talking about the, you know, some apocalyptic thing. It's always, uh, uh, apocalypse, listen, uh, just means that the unveiling. Uh, apocalypse really isn't actually a scary word. But when we think about it, the whole reason for the seven years of tribulation or one of the greatest reasons, the Bible calls that the time of what? Somebody, the time of somebody's trouble. Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Israel. So the time, all, all the stuff, even the stuff that's going on now is leading to the place to where the Jews, uh, with the stuff that's going on now, whether it's exactly the stuff going on now, uh, that the, that, the, that the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and have the answers. By the way, we'll, we'll be gone for that, uh, which, which again, could be tonight, who knows. Uh, could be 10 years from now, who knows. But, 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 if, if, but, 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 but what that's going to happen is that there's going to be a peace treaty signed with the Antichrist until the Antichrist betrays them, and then they realize, oh my goodness, this isn't our Christ. And then, uh, then later on in the tribulation, Jesus will reveal himself the nation will be truly saved in a day. And that's what all this stuff that we see going on in the news is leading toward. But where we are today is we're still in the church age. We're still in the day of the church. 
And as long as we're here, we got, we got to continue to do what Jesus called us to do. So the church is made up of both Jew and Gentile to be the light of the world. So now look what the Bible says in the New Testament. Now this is what about Jesus, but it says that Jesus, Luke 2.32, He's a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Acts 13.47, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. Now, Luke 2 is about Jesus. Acts 13 is about us, the church. Be a light to the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for the salvation unto the ends of the earth. Acts 26, 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show the light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So again, I'm just trying to emphasize here what how God's relentless pursuit of man. The nation of Israel was chosen so that people might come to God. The point is, Israel failed in that. Now he's ordained the church for the exact same mission. 2,000 years. How's the church doing, by the way? 2,000 years worth. Um, well, I'll tell you what, she's going on. The gates of hell haven't prevailed. But I got to tell you, do you know what the, church, the first century church was able to do? They were able to reach the known world in their lifetime. Do you think it's, if you want to just ask how the church has done, honestly, um, you know, we, 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 could, we could talk about the millions of people that have never heard the gospel, never heard the name of Jesus, things of that nature. Um, now, this, this, uh, this is just pointing fingers. It don't help us a whole lot. But I want you to understand that, uh, and, and I don't have the numbers. I meant, to, I meant to look this up again. But that if you could take, if you could get 20 people, this is like the, the would you take a million dollars now or a penny multiplied every day for a month, right? This is kind of that if you, under, if you know what I'm referring to there. If you could take 20 Christians, and if 20 Christians would this year lead one person to the Lord, then you got 40 Christians. And if the 20 Christians that led the, those other 20 Christians to the Lord also took time to disciple those Christians to where they now could also lead another 20 to the Lord. And now the 20 Christians that led the first Christians to the Lord are leading another 20. And if you keep multiplying that, I believe it's in like in less than 10 years you can reach like 10 billion people. And if you do the math, you know there's not 10 billion people in the world. So in, in, in essence, 20 people could reach the entire world in 10 years. Now understand that's theoretical. But what I want you to see is just how possible it is. It is possible. It is, it is feasible, if you will. And I know it don't work just like that, but I just want you to see that it's a feasible notion that the world can still be reached. Um, think about this in regards to the nation of Israel. I'll, I'll back up to them again. Until Pentecost, I read this. I got this from um, John Phillips, I believe. Until Pentecost, if God had anything to say, generally, he said it to a Jew. Up until Pentecost, if God had anything to say, he said it to a Jew. For 2,000 years, if he had anything to say, he said it in Hebrew. For that long period of time, if a Gentile wanted to know God, he had to go to a Jew. But after Pentecost, there was a big change. After Pentecost, when God spoke and had something to say, 
He began to speak in Greek. He began to speak in a Gentile language. For the last 2,000 years, for the most part, if a Jew wants to know God, wants to know truly who Christ is, he must come to a Gentile. Isn't that an amazing turnaround? Now, the church, again, by and large, I believe, in many ways has failed. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to as an individual church. That doesn't mean that we have to fail. We can continue to carry out and do that. And again, theoretically, we can, this church can reach the world, right? If you go by those notes, we can reach the world. And how does it start? It, re it starts by reaching your world. And, and, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I'll say it before I lose you if I hadn't lost you already. The thing about missions, you do, we do not have a good concept of missions if we don't understand that it starts with us. We do not have a good concept of missions if we don't understand that it starts with us. And I do not mean just on the giving side of things. I mean in the sense of leading someone else to Christ and discipling that person. If we don't get that part, we're missing missions. And a lot of times missions is just all about, oh man, we just need to get behind these people that are going all around the world, and we do. And we need to give so that we can help get people that get the, get the gospel around the world, and we do. But if we miss the main point that what those missionaries are doing is what we're all supposed to be doing, the church in America, it's just, it's, it's, it's embarrassing, kind of. And I know it sounds like I'm poor-mouthing and putting people down today. I'm not trying to do that, but it just amazes me. We, we send people to other countries, and here's what we expect them to do. We expect them to go to these other countries. We expect them to preach the gospel. We generally expect them to train leaders and train other pastors. We expect them then to go on and go to another town. We expect them to start multiple churches. That's what we expect missionaries to do. In other words, we expect them to follow a biblical pattern. But we're in America. So we don't follow a biblical pattern. We just, you know, we're not about church planting. We're about building up one church in one place. Right? That's it. Well, that's not biblical. And, 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 and it comes down to, uh, and, and we're about, you know, paying a pastor to preach to us and, and, and to disciple people. But that's not biblical. Now, it's biblical that I do that, but it's not biblical that I only do that. And so a big part of my job, and, and, and understand this, if, if you're failing in that, it's because I'm failing in that, as in communicating that and helping instruct and teach and equip you because that's one of the things I really want to do to where you too can understand, oh yeah, so it's also my responsibility to go in the world, to, to lead someone to Christ, to take that person and, and to disciple them. And again, discipleship is not just going through a 12-week course. Discipleship is life on life. It's just investing in people. Um, and so, but, but again, that's what we expect them to do in, in other countries, and that's one of the reasons why, by the grace of God, we do not have that philosophy here. We are trying to build this church, but it is my heart, uh, you know. It would have been, you, do you know the, reason, the whole reason that Michael ended up in Akron? You may not realize this, but, and, and, and you know, honestly, my heart when I came here 
The whole reason we don't even have a Sunday evening service, and I know it's been many years now, but I wanted to leave that door and that opportunity open to be able to go into another town and have a Bible study there with eventually the hopes of perhaps starting a church. Um, but we started having people come from other communities, but not too many other people of other communities, you know, seem to be too burdened about having a church there. And I'm not being critical about that, but I tell you, when Jen Wendell came to town, she was burdened about a church being in Akron. And I was already praying about Akron. I was already going over there. I was already, I had literally sat out, sat out in front of Akron First Baptist Church. I had sat out in front of that church and just prayed and said, God, give us this building. Give us this building. I want to start a church here. I want to, to, to see this go. And I'm not trying, don't, don't think I'm trying to take credit for any of this because I'm not. I'm telling you, that's what God had on my heart. And so then I said, well, you know what? I want to start a Bible study. We're going to start a Bible study in Akron. And, uh, and then, you know, Michael's like, well, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll help. And I'm like, cool, well, let's help. Let's do it, man. Well, of course, the Lord had different plans, right? And by the time, but by the time the first Bible study was ever had, I was 100% hands off, and Michael was starting a Bible study and buying a house in Akron. I'm telling you that to say that's, that's the heart of this church. The, the thing to do would be like, why would you send Michael out? He's like a great preacher, great worker, gifted young man. That's not a good idea if we're going to keep building this church up to be sending up, trying to send our best workers and encourage our best people to go off 15 miles away. You know, like that's not very smart. Uh, listen, that, that, that's strategic. That's the plan. That's what we, that's, and I, when I, that's, so that's, you could see that already in this church. We've got a heart for that. We have people driving up from uh, Nebraska, and I, and I don't know how things are going to go, but, uh, but one day I was visiting down in Nebraska, you know, and uh, down, I forget what town it was, but about 45, 40, 45 minutes from here, and on my way down there, I drove right past Eric and Sarah Sue's road. I'm like, man, Eric and Sarah Sue live right down there, and, uh, and then I'm passing Jackson, and I'm like, man, there's some people that I've been witnessing to, a couple different families that I've got good relationship with. That, uh, that I've talked to about the Lord, they live right there. And then I get to the people's house to visit, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, I I'm visiting a couple there. And then I'm like, man, there's another couple that lives just in this town, basically right outside of town. I'm like, man, we need to get something going here. And, and that's what I'm praying about doing. I'm, I mean, I'm, in, I'm talking to some people. And again, I'm not saying it's going to turn into a church necessarily, uh, but I want to have that outreach and, and that mission. Well, you know, so just give it, when, so when we talk about missions, by God's grace, we want to see more churches planted. And again, a lot of it's theoretical. Like, I can't, like, yes, I want to see another church started. I, I think about people that are coming all the way from, uh, you know, we, we obviously have the lilies and the hoods that come from Moville, uh, but we've got another family that's coming from about another 15, 10, 15 minutes beyond that. And I'm thinking, huh, maybe we can get something going over there, you know, and, and I want you to know, as a pastor, that that's where my heart is, and that's where the heart of this church is, because, yeah, you say, well, why would you do that? Man, you've got people that are already, you know, driving from there. But guess what? They've got neighbors that won't drive here. They've got friends that will not come here. Why would they drive across there through Sioux City and then back up here through this? Why would they do that? So we want to bring the church to them. That's the whole point, and that is the goal, and... 
And, uh, and I do want to see this church continue to grow, but it's always with the heart of church planting. And, 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 the, and, the, and the men that's God, that God's calling to preach here, hey, people that live in those communities, uh, hey, it's a tough thing. Hey, it's a, it's a tough thing, but I don't know if you remember this or not, but when we sent Michael over to Akron, I, I said right then and there, hey, y'all pray about it. If God wants you to go over there, go over there. And at the same time, I'm praying none of y'all went, but, uh, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> kind of serious, kind of not. But I mean, but it's like the heart, it's about the ministry. It's, it's about reaching souls. Um, so, the, the, again, the church can sometimes kind of miss out on that and, and forget about the real idea and the real goal is church planting. Um, now, Jesus is coming back real soon because I just want to emphasize, again, I want to close with kind of how I started. What, what I told you that I want to emphasize was God's relentless pursuit of souls and our role. I've talked a little bit about both of those already. But I want to come back down and bring it here again. We talked about God throughout history trying to reach mankind. If you ever wonder what's, what's wrong with the world, it's not God. It's the pipeline. And the pipeline is people. Why is there so much hunger in the world? That don't got nothing to do with God. It's the pipeline. There's plenty of food in the world. We just got to get it to people that are hungry, right? There's plenty of money. There's plenty of resources. God's not the problem. People are the problem in this world. And uh, people like to blame God. But, 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 but regardless of that, um, Jesus is going to return soon. Those who have rejected him will be forever lost. However, those who haven't heard will hear during the seven years of tribulation. In Revelation 7, we read about 144,000 spirit-filled Jewish evangelists that are leading a number of people to Christ that the Bible says that no man can number. All right? That's after the, the rapture. And, but I want to emphasize, those who reject Christ before the rapture, the, Bible, the, the, the strong language that the Bible uses are damned, is damned. But those who have not, and there's millions upon millions of people who have not heard, they're going to hear. And, 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 if, and if for some reason the 144,000 miss somebody, in Revelation 14, verse 6, the Bible says, Revelation 7 is where you read about the 144,000. Revelation 14, 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. That's pretty cool. How could God bring such wrath on the earth? Listen, he's give, I think he's given 2,000 years. He's given his son, for goodness sake. And people mock and reject in the whole thing. But even then, God is still going to give opportunity for those during the tribulation period. Um, all right, and so what we must endeavor until then, what's our role? It starts with this. Are you surrendered to go wherever the Lord would have you to go? Are you? Whatever you and don't try to talk yourself out of it. You know how you talk yourself out of it? Oh, well, he's talking to the young people. And by the way, let me say something to parents and grandparents. If you think it's all hunky-dory and great, that, some, that God calls somebody else's child to go be a missionary somewhere, 
But, 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 but our son is destined for greater things, you see. He's really intelligent. He's got a great career ahead of him. We don't want ministry, you know. My daughter, she's so gifted. She's going to make this great... We, we, we don't want to waste that on souls, you know. I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of true, true, true Bible-believing Christians that feel that way about their kids and grandkids. But I pray that wouldn't be the spirit around here. There's nothing greater. Nothing greater. And listen, whatever it is that God's called you to, you know, vocationally speaking... You'd have to take a step down to do anything different because that's what God's called you to do. But the point is, it's not, it's, it's not uh, so I'm not saying that it's greater, but I'm saying there's nothing greater than doing what God's called you to do. And so, but here's the thing I've got to come back to you. Are you surrendered to go and do whatever God would have you to go and do? When I say don't talk yourself out of it, here's how you can talk yourself out of it. Well, I'm too old. Preacher's not even preaching to me right now. I'm going to turn my hearing aid off. Right? Listen, Moses, did you hear me, Eric? Turn them turn back on, Eric. Hey! Um, but, uh, no, listen, uh, Moses was 80 years old when God called him. 80 years old. Are you surrendered? Will you go, will you do whatever, will you go wherever God calls you to go? Now, the odds are that I don't know, there may be very few of you that God calls to go somewhere across the world. But what if He does? Now, here, here's what happens. And I'm, ta- you're, this is, I'm speaking from experience here. Oh, yeah, I, I would go anywhere. I'm talking about from experience. But, you know, I wouldn't want to go to, you know, South Korea or someplace like that, you know, with weird food and that language. And, but, I, but, Lord, I'd go anywhere else. Well, aren't you big? Woo, ain't God lucky to have you. You'd go anywhere except for one place. Boy, I tell you, that's something special. Uh, no. God, I'll go anywhere, period. Period. I'll go anywhere. Can you say that tonight? If you can't, why not? Why would you not be able to say, God, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything you want me to do and I'll go anywhere you want me to go? Why not? A lot of times the reason's cause uh, we don't really trust the Lord. Ever feel that feeling? It's scary. This is no joke. This is one of the this is one of the offerings that we make as high priest, or not as high priest. Sorry, Jesus, is the high priest as New Testament priest. We we make the burnt offering. We offer our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Wholly acceptable unto God, which is, by the way, our reasonable service. But preacher, if, what if I surrendered and God called me and I had to leave my job and I had to leave my family? There'd be no greater experience that you've ever had is what would happen. Christian after Christian's experienced it. There's nothing greater. But, I, but, I, but I'm telling you, speaking from experience, it's awfully scary to do. And it took me a while. It wasn't just one convicting sermon and I just said, okie dokie. Because it was one convicting sermon and I came down and I said, okay, Lord, I'll go almost anywhere. And Lord, I'll do almost anything. You know? But, I, but I've used this example and, I, and I've, done it, I've done it with youth for years and... and 
I know Melanie knows what I'm about to say, and I know that I'm, you know, in extra innings right now. But, uh, but just thinking about this, Hannah, Eric, we'll go from young to not as young, nearly as young, but not as young. Uh, blank piece of paper. And what I was challenged to do many years ago, over 27 years ago, was to take a blank piece of paper like this one. This would be fun to do tonight, but I know it's about time to go. But, I, but I'd preach a message, Hannah, and I'd be preaching about surrender. And Anna, what I would do is I'd go around and I'd just start laying these blank pieces of paper on the altar as I was speaking and as I was talking. Laying them around while I'm preaching about surrender. And then finally it gets down to the point of this. This is your contract with God. Would you be willing to come sign your name at the bottom and give it back to God and say, Lord, you just fill in the details. You got my signature, you've got me, you fill in the details. Now that's not just a message to the young people, that's a message to all of us tonight. Oh, well, I'm really into missions, I'm really mission, mission, mission. Are you? Or are you into sending somebody else to do it? Right? So that's a challenge. So may God help us to embrace the challenge. Um, we must fight the tendency. Um, oh, shoot. What was I going to say? wish I hadn't said that word. But uh, so, so, so what we must endeavor. We must endeavor. We're a chosen generation. I'm going to give this to you super quick, I promise. Uh, verse number... Uh, I believe it's verse number 9 of chapter 2. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness. To, to, to show forth means to say out loud, to advertise. Because the world is dark, in the dark, people do not know the excellencies of God, but they should see them. Every one of our lives are to be an advertisement of the virtues and blessings of the Christian lives. Our, of Christian life. Our lives should radiate the marvelous light into which God has graciously called us and fight the temptation again to think that missions, to fight the tendency, resist the temptation to think that missions is nothing more than our financial and our prayer support for individuals that are called to go to other places. At the end of each gospel, some, some more clear than others, Jesus said, Go ye, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's poor. That means all of you, each of you. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Each gospel endures with this clear and enduring charge. This is missions. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Um... And, and he says it, it, repeats it in Luke. He repeats it in John. And then at the beginning of, of Acts, the story of the church, he says, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So, God's relentless pursuit for souls and your part in it, my part in it, it still continues. No matter what we are, we are still missionaries. Amen? And so, Danny, I want you to come play, if you would, as we close out this evening.
And, uh, and I want to challenge you tonight. I know that we went far long, and I know that we've already had uh, altar of prayer. But I want to invite you, uh, as we all stand together and get ready to dismiss, are you able to put your all on the altar? Are you able to say, Lord, I'll go. I'll surrender. I know it sounds kind of harsh, but sometimes we can't even surrender our seat. We can't even surrender where we're standing, right? To be obedient to the call of God, just to come forward and pray sometimes. Can you humbly say, Lord, I'll sign my name. I'll sign my name. Lord, in other words, you've got me. I'm giving you my life. Maybe you'd want to come forth tonight and make that commitment. Maybe you'd want to do like I had to do many times. I had to come forward and ask God to help me make that commitment. Because I struggled with it. I took it seriously, man. This is no joke. When people brought their sacrifices to the offering to the altar, they were bringing something there to die. They were bringing something there to die, and they were not bringing it back with them. Can you lay your dreams on the altar tonight? Say, Lord, I give them to you. Your plans, your career. Lord, I lay it down. I give it to you, Lord. My life is surrendered to you. I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Would you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable before God, which is your reasonable service? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I wouldn't say that I've always lived that way, but I can tell you this, I'm here today because of that commitment. And I would not trade it for anything in this world. I really wouldn't. Can you imagine what the business world could have done with my brain? Imagine what I could have done. Thank you for laughing because that's a joke. No. But I'm telling you this, man, whatever else I would have been doing, there's no way it would be able to compare to what I'm doing right now. And with, with, with whom I'm doing it. What a blessing. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your faithfulness, and I thank you for your grace in our lives. I thank you for saving us. I thank you, Lord, that we get to be your people. We're a chosen, chosen generation. A royal priesthood, God, we've been called and chosen and, uh, Lord, just put into this world to make a difference for you. My goodness, what a blessing. And I pray that you'll help each of us to embrace, to embrace that calling, Lord, to embrace it and just surrender our lives to you, Lord, and understand we will never, it's impossible to regret it, Lord, because you've got something so much greater for us than what we have for ourselves. And so we thank you for that, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed.